Thanks, Emma. Good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to see you. Even if I don't know who you are, I'm so glad that you're here today. The outdoor services have been just so great this summer. Uh, we have to, for those of you who haven't been to Rosa Parks before, every Sunday we have to unload a trailer and set up the Rosa Parks Elementary School. And so when we get to come here, it's a little easier on our volunteers. And as Emma so aptly told us last week, pretty soon, pretty soon when we go outside, the, it's going to hurt our face. And so as long as we can be outside, the better, right? So I'm so grateful that you're here today. The kids, feel free to engage with your children as needed. We have care over there. But uh, this is just meant to be a great time for us to enjoy that the storms are over. And uh, it's not so hot. It's not so cold. It's just right. Do you love a deadline? Do you look for goals and you just eat them for breakfast? Do you plan ahead and when the event comes, you're just like, yes, I'm ready? Or do you like to procrastinate? And perhaps the day might even come and go and you've missed it. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but I'm more of the goal person. Uh, I love a deadline. It provides structure, which I love in my life. On days where I have a less structured day, I'm learning that if I make appointments earlier in the day and I kind of get going, it makes the whole day better. I have in the past taken classes so that I'm motivated to read, which I really do enjoy doing. Sometimes I even make my grocery orders for pickup early in the morning because then I'm motivated to kind of get up and get my day going. Today we're going to talk about something that's coming for all of us. It's a goal or a deadline, but it's kind of squishy because even though it's going to happen for all of us, none of us know when it's coming. So it's sort of like COVID when I said it, was, it felt like a marathon except people kept moving the finish line. It's not death. And it's not taxes, but it's going to happen for all of us. It's when Jesus comes back. And now maybe some of you are getting nervous, but I want to make sure that we all are on the same page today. Okay? Some people call it the apocalypse. Some people call it the end times. Some people say the order is really important. What's going to happen when? And I'm not going to talk about that today. Uh, it's been debated for 2,000 years. People have looked at certain times in the world and said, oh, now this is ver for sure. Jesus is going to come back because this has happened. And I just want to let you know as your pastor today that my dad is going to be 94 next month. And he has told me that every single generation in his life has thought that they were the generation. And yet here we be. We're still here waiting on it. And yet... The scriptures say, 2,000 years ago, Jesus come quickly. And they wrote about being in the last days. However, Jesus says in Matthew 24, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, I think now Jesus probably knows because he's in eternity as the Trinity. But at that time, Jesus was a human and I believe limited himself with some things like eternal life because he physically died. And physically, I don't think that he did know at that time when he would be returning. If you hear people out there saying, gosh, if you read the paper, if you read about what's happening to Jerusalem, we really need to be focused on this. We need to be getting ready. And I would agree with them, except, again, generations have always said that. 
So today we're gonna try to find a middle ground. How can we have that sense of it could happen at any moment and I need to get ready? And also not getting wrapped around the axle about it. Okay, are you with me? So we are going to be in James chapter five. We've been studying the book of James this summer. James is not trying to teach us some new theological truths. He is talking to people who are believers. He is trying to get into our business and challenge how we live, as the Bible Project says. Jesus is echoed in the book of James, the Sermon on the Mount. The prophets and the book of wisdom also echoed in the book of James. James, the author of the book of James, was likely Jesus' half-brother. He grew up in a Jewish home. He knew who God was. He was a God-fearing man. He also then knew Jesus. Knew Jesus' words. Knew Jesus' teachings. So James, it sometimes is said as challenging wisdom speeches, it doesn't read like a typical letter as we often see in the New Testament. It's sort of like pithy phrases that you can pull out and really one verse can just nail you to the wall. A lot of it is about wisdom, heavenly wisdom, that loves God and loves others. We're going to start in chapter 5, verse 1. You rich people, listen to me. Cry and weep because you soon will be suffering. Your riches have rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have lost their brightness. Their dullness will be a witness against you. Your wanting more and more will eat your body like fire. You have stored up riches in these last days. You have even failed to pay the workers who mowed your field. They are crying out against you. The cries of those who gathered the harvest have reached the ears of the Lord. He rules over all. You have lived an easy life on earth. You have given yourselves everything you've wanted. You have made yourselves fat like cattle that will soon be butchered. You have judged and murdered people who aren't guilty. And they weren't even opposing you. All right, anybody feeling like outdoor service is super fun anymore? <clears throat> James 5, I'm just telling you what it says. James is concerned with those who are wealthy. If you read the book of James, I read a commentary this summer that said it's written mostly to wealthy people. And it's interesting if you read the whole book with that mindset, man, certain things hit you a little bit differently. This section is clearly written to the wealthy. He is concerned about them. He wants them to live differently. He is also concerned for the poor. They are working and yet not getting paid for it. Their wages are crying out against the rich. And he says that the rich really should cry and weep. Last week in chapter 4, if you remember, another happy passage, it literally had verse after verse saying, Cry and weep. Be full of sorrow. Change your laughter to mourning. Change your joy to sadness. Be humble before the Lord. If we read what these rich are doing, they're getting fat because they're pleasing themselves. They're not waiting to purchase whatever it is. They're not watching what they eat. 
In fact, they're stealing from those who deserve it so that they can have more. We'll keep going in verse 7. Brothers and sisters, James says, be patient until the Lord comes. See how the farmer waits for the land to produce its rich crop. See how patient the farmer is for the fall and spring rains. You too must be patient. You must remain strong. The Lord will soon come back. Verse 9, brothers and sisters, don't find fault with one another. If you do, you will be judged. And the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, think about the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They are an example of how to be patient when you suffer. As you know, we think that people who don't give up are blessed. You have heard that Job, an Old Testament character, was patient. And you have seen what the Lord finally did for him. The Lord is full of tender mercy and loving concern. Does this feel like a little bit of a switch in focus? <laughs> Come on, you rich. Stop living like this. Brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord comes. This is what I'm talking about when it's sort of sections of wisdom speeches versus a letter that's chronological or maybe makes more traditional sense to us. However, as I've been thinking about this, I don't think anything in scripture is an accident. A lot of the themes that are in the whole book of James get repeated, and we've seen patience in chapter 1. We've talked about judgment that happened in chapter 4, and when it's talking about not having um, favoritism. Talking about God being full of tender mercy and loving concern. We've talked about how the Lord is generous and does not accuse. So there are things that are repeated in this section that make it make sense. However, again, as I've been thinking about it and looking at this, I thought, you know what, though? There is a contrast here that I think is intentional. Some people are being impatient. That's why James is calling them to patience. And when I think about the wealthy, they were not patient. It said that they gave themselves whatever they wanted. Anyone who's wanted someone, something, or someone, I guess, and has had to wait for it, we know how a struggle that is. If you have to save the money for it, or you have to wait for the date to come, or you have to wait for, I don't know, the baby to arrive. There's nothing you can do, right? You just have to wait. The rich feel like the opposite of that the way that they're describing chapter 5. Like they're literally at Old Country Buffet and they have 12 plates in front of themselves and they cannot stop. That's not patience. That's the opposite. No judgment on anyone who loves Old Country Buffet, okay? <laughs> and James sketches an alternative here. Look at the farmer. Now, I used to live in Duluth and whenever I came to an agricultural reference, we didn't have much. Duluth, not a lot of farmers, okay? But here in Mankato, literally, traffic can stop on roads, right? Because you run into a tractor. And if you all know any of the farmers, the farmers can't make it rain. The farmers can't change what has happened the last couple of years with the drought. Now, maybe some of them are patient, some of them aren't. But in general, farmers are forced to be patient. There is nothing you can do to change the crops from growing or not growing in general. Okay, And this was before fertilizers and 
seeding clouds and all the things that we do now. Patience is the option, the alternative, the healthier option, shall we say, particularly then when it comes to waiting for the Lord's return. Patience, however, does not mean just waiting quietly or passively or just eating bonbons on your couch. It can be active because another example other than the farmer are the prophets. And if you've ever read a prophet in the Old Testament, the last thing that they were were quiet. The last thing they were were people who just said passively, oh well, injustice is happening and I guess I'm just going to wait quietly over here in the corner until it passes. Oh no. They were out there preaching, they were out there doing things, they were out there calling the faithful to action in the meantime. Jesus is coming back. And it can impact how we lead our lives. Verse 12. My brothers and sisters. Again, I love James because in the middle of these like cracks to our chin, he's giving this family language. Brothers and sisters. There's a concern here. And there's a connection. He's not just coming out of nowhere to a stranger and saying, hey, by the way, I'm going to point out something in your life. He knows them and he loves them. Brothers and sisters, he says in verse 12, here's what's most important. Don't make a promise by giving your word. Don't promise by heaven or earth. And don't promise by anything else to back up what you say. All you need is a simple yes or no. If you do more than this, you will be judged. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and somebody says this is the most important thing, I want to maybe write it down or highlight it. And I assume the next thing that's coming is something about Jesus or the resurrection or maybe even sexual purity. And then we get this kind of bizarre, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That is what's most important. When was the last time you heard a sermon on this? I don't know, but the Bible says this is the most important thing. When was the last time you saw somebody get a tattoo that says, let your yes be yes and your no be no? When was the last time you went to a Christian bookstore and they had a book, uh, uh, help me Lord, bumper sticker? When was the last time you heard a sermon series on this? That's crickets for those of you at home. Literally, actually. Why does James say this is so important? Before in chapter 4, it talks about being humble when you're making plans. Brothers and sisters, he says, don't say like, I'm going to go this and do that. No, instead you should say, if the Lord wills it. And there's this sort of convicting section that says, for those of us that bullet journal with permanent marker, like when you're making your plans, it should always be with the caveat, if the Lord wills it. Because that illustrates that I am not in charge. God is. So that sort of makes sense to me. You know, don't promise anything because, I don't know, I could get hit by that donut truck when I leave today. But why is this so important to James? Well, he says if we do more than this, we will be judged. And earlier it says the judge is standing at the door, which I think is a reference to Jesus is coming back. Okay, we're going to come back to this, all right? Why is that so important? What I want to say is when we think about Jesus' return to earth... Scripture tells us that Jesus is going to return and restore all things. And there's this theme in the book of James and in the Bible and in the Old Testament about shalom, about wholeness. 
And it's actually the word perfection. Not meaning you're gonna do everything right or get everything right, but that instead we're no longer gonna be fractured people, inconsistent, doing one thing and saying another, living one way at church and then going home and being somebody else. It's that we're whole and we're restored in our original intended self that God created us to be. And when Jesus comes back and does that, it gets to be like that forever. And those of us who have chosen him and have submitted to him, we get to be a part of it. And that kingdom, Jesus says, came and started when Jesus was first on earth. Now that blows my mind because I don't know about you, but I read the news and it sure seems fractured. But there are little elements that we see, oh, that's God's kingdom coming to earth. She chooses to have her baby. That couple decides to take a second chance. That man has been sober for many years. That family is in need and they're actually asking for help now. And there are these revelations of what heaven is going to be like right now. 320 backpacks with shields distributed in the schools. Kids getting the food that they need. Mentors choosing to invest their lives. I could go on and on. It gets me so excited. And do you know why that's so important? It gives us hope to get through this moment. But do you know what it also does? It is a way that we can witness to the world what is going to happen. And for some of those people, that's the only glimpse they're ever going to get. But for some of them, it might be so intriguing that they want to become part of it. That is why it's important for us then to think about how we spend our money. Americans, okay, buckle up you guys, this is the truth. And it might not feel good, but just like buckle up, okay? Across the world, there are 5. billion people, according to the internet. Talk to me afterwards if you wanna argue, okay? 5.61 of them, I'm sorry, 56.1 of them are millionaires. 56 million people in this world are millionaires. Do you know how many of the United States have? 40%. 40% of the millionaires on the planet live in our country. North America and Europe host 57% of the total world's household wealth. And yet, we are 17% of the world's population. Can you say the scales are a little crooked? Can you say that there's something fractured? We are rich as Americans. Some of you might not feel rich. Some of you might feel like you're barely making your ends meet. But compared to the rest of the world, if you have books in your house, if you drove up here in a car, if you have food in your pantry, you are. We are rich. Now the good news is, is we give more money away in this country every year. In my opinion, it's still pretty paltry, like it's not even close to 5% of our income, but let's just go there, okay? In 2021, the United States gave away $404.85 billion. I can't even say that number. I was an English major. Individuals and corporations gave away more in 2021 than ever before. Now, with inflation, everything gets a little crazy. I'm not an economics major either. <laughs> but our income is increasing, but with inflation, it kind of like flattens out. The average American right now is worth about $80,000. Religious donations have increased, and when Hey friends, sorry about that. We had a microphone failure, but we did get it fixed a few minutes later. 
So we're going to fast forward to the end of Sandy's message. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We need truth. All right, in closing, uh, we were driving home the other day, and all of, uh, three of us, maybe out of the five, were on our phones. And I said, all right, that's it. Everybody put your phone down. I said, if we just got hit by a truck and one of us survived, would we just be so glad we spent our last minutes on our phone? And somebody was like, wow, mom, that's morbid. Why is one of us surviving? Why didn't we all die? It got a little weird. <laughs> but I said, what do we want to be doing in our last moments? Isn't it fun to be a pastor's kid? <laughs> this is the time of the year where I do some self-assessment. And I look at my fall. And yes, the bullet journal you'll hear me talk about a lot. Where are we at, you guys? Brian said yesterday, we had some training in the morning. Brian said yesterday, you cannot be any closer to Jesus than you are right now. Now, the Holy Spirit can be alive in you once we say yes to Jesus and we're following him. That's different. But Jesus is right here. He's sitting on your lap. He's on your shoulder. He's holding you. You cannot get any closer to Jesus than you are right now because he is Lord of all, full of tender mercy and concern. But we can all become more like Jesus and talk more like Jesus and have patience like Jesus. And I don't know how Jesus gave his money away, but I bet when he was making money as a carpenter, he rarely went home with change in his pocket. Weep and wail if you need to. Cry and mourn over how you have made mistakes. But remember that the Lord is full of tender concern and mercy, and he is patient with us. Amen? John, please come and help us. Worship our good God.